Good morning, church. This morning's reading is out of the book of John, 17, from verse 6 to 19. John 17, from verse 6 to 19. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted it. Them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of God. Hey, thank you very much indeed. Let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus Christ says, your word is truth. Heavenly Father, what a great relief it is to know that there is truth, that you have the truth. Our world is so full of confusion and foolishness. And we long for truth, truth that we can build our lives on. And we pray that you would draw near to each one of us this morning. Please open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, do please uh, keep your Bible open at the passage that Faye read so beautifully for us, John 17, 
verse 6 through to 19. If I was to begin this morning uh, by asking, who are you? Some of you might think, well, that's rather a strange question. Um, You're the pastor. You're meant to know these things. You might also think, well, I didn't come to church this morning to to be asked who I am. Uh, I came to church this morning to be taught something practical about how to live my life. But of course, the question, who am I, is actually very practical indeed. For example, at the moment somebody says, I'm a mother, we immediately know one or two things about how she ought to behave. For example, we know that she ought to love and care for her child or her children. So that's a very practical question, isn't it, about her identity. Equally, if somebody says, I'm a doctor, uh, we will assume, won't we, that they're going to behave like a doctor. And we've got some idea, at least, about what doctors ought to do and what doctors ought not to do. So the question of identity is very practical indeed. We're going to spend most of our time this morning trying to answer the question, if I am a Christian, who am I really? Now, uh, just to get the context, we've reached the stage in the Gospel of John where we are listening to God speaking with God. I said last week that John 17 is generally held to be one of the most profound sections of the whole Bible. It's the night before the crucifixion of Jesus, and in the previous four chapters, Jesus has been speaking to his inner circle of friends, the 11 apostles, after Judas Iscariot left. And now, chapter 17, Jesus prays. God the Son speaks to God the Father, and he allows the disciples to listen in. And they allow us to listen in. It's actually a tremendous privilege, because here we've got prayer according to the will of God that expresses the longings of God. And because they're the longings of God, the prayer will and must be answered. Now, I think it's fairly obvious to you by now that the prayer itself is quite dense. Uh, There's a lot in it. It's very compressed. Um, But I think if we can just get a grip on some of the detail here, it really will change our lives. I firmly do believe that. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 5, where Jesus prays for himself. So you notice in verse 1, he he prays, Father, glorify your Son. And then he repeats that petition, doesn't he, in verse 5, glorify me. And we saw last week that in that section, Jesus is praying that who he really is, with all of the power and all of the perfection of the Son of God, that that might be made visible and be seen in order that the Father might also be seen for who he really is, with his deep love that lost people 
might come to know him. So the main point in that first part of the prayer, verses 1 to 5, is that the invisible God might become visible. And uh, we saw last week that the main way that that happens, that the invisible God becomes visible, is by God the Father and God the Son working together to rescue men and women and give them eternal life. I wonder if you've made that connection before. That is how the invisible God becomes visible. So, it's no surprise, is it, that in verse 6 and following, Jesus is praying for the people who are being rescued. Because that's how God comes to be known for who he really is. So in verses 6 to 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. Strictly speaking, that section of the prayer is not a prayer for us. It's a prayer for the 11 apostles. And uh, next week we'll see that in verse 20, uh, Jesus goes on to broaden it out and says he's going to be praying for all believers in every age. But I believe that we can legitimately apply verses 6 to 19 to us. Let me tell you why. Next week we're going to see in verses 20 to 26 to the end of the chapter that Jesus echoes a number of things that he's already prayed in verses 6 to 19. So in the last section, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, the stuff that I've been praying about for you 11 is in principle what I'm praying for for every believer in every age. So I'm going to take it that verses 6 to 19 are about us, and of course if you disagree with me, you can come and tell me why afterwards. I've divided the section into three uh, as follows. Section one, the person I am. The person I am. Section two, the protection I need. The protection I need. And thirdly, the life I must lead. We're going to spend more than half our time on the first point and this tremendous question of our identity. And isn't it wonderful that we're doing that on the day when we've been thinking about building on the rock? So, the person I am. Now notice with me in verse 9, Jesus says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. Now that means... This is not a general prayer for everybody. It's a prayer for a particular group of people. Jesus is praying for them. And in verses 6 to 8, he tells us who them are. He spells it out in four stages, and I think this is is the most important thing we're going to be looking at this morning. I need to warn you that this is not especially important easy. Uh, You might find that you need the smelling salts halfway through the first point. Uh, But of course we're heading into Lent, so you're looking after your neighbour. If you see them nodding off, just give them a very gentle nudge in the ribs and bring them back to us. Please try and stay with me, because what Jesus says here is absolutely fundamental 
for our stability as Christian people. Stage one, we belong and have belonged to the Father from all eternity. So middle of verse six, Jesus says to the Father, they were yours. So God the Father gave them to Jesus, but they belonged to the Father. Now who's he talking about? Well, Jesus here is not speaking about all people without exception. That's clear, isn't it, from what Jesus says in verse 9. Verse 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. So the people that belong to the Father are people who either already have or will become Christians. That is what distinguishes them from the world. Now there's mystery here, and uh, it's a mystery that's actually deeper than our ability to understand it, but here it goes. Before any of us became Christians, if that is what we are this morning, we already belonged to the Father. And the very clear implication of what Jesus is saying is that some people belong to the Father in this particular way and others do not. Now, friends, what that means, just think about this, is that God is not the Father of all human beings. Fresh thought? He's the creator of all, but he's not the Father of all. He's Father to all who from eternity he has chosen to belong to Jesus Christ. Some of those people don't yet belong to Jesus Christ, but in due course, they will. Now, I know that uh, this is a mystery that all of us, to a degree, in our pride and arrogance, we rebel against it. But if you are a real Christian, the reason you're a Christian is that the Father chose you to belong to him from all eternity. He chose you, he elected you, he predestined you to be his son or to be his daughter. Now, this isn't just in John 17. Now, the Bible teaches this again and again and again. That if I'm a Christian, it is not primarily because of my choice. It's because of the Father's love. It's not because I'm good. And the same is true of you. It's simply that the Father chose us, and in his perfect time he called us. Why? Well, the simple answer is because he's God. As Paul says in Romans chapter 9, where he quotes the Old Testament, he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. God's choice. And friends, even if we don't completely understand it, and I doubt very much that I do or you do completely, you and I need to bow before this truth. So that is the first answer to who I am if I'm a Christian. I'm someone who has belonged to the Father from all eternity. Second, the Father gave us to Jesus. Jesus actually says that 
four times in John 17. We'll look at a couple of them. In verse 6, Jesus prays to the Father, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. Then verse 9, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. As I say, four times altogether in the prayer, Jesus makes the point that a Christian is someone who belonged to the Father from all eternity and who at some point the Father gave to Jesus. There's absolutely no point in asking when the Father did that because God the Father stands outside time. But at some point, the Father said to Jesus, here is gift, take him, protect him, keep him. There is Melita, take her, look after her, keep her. And if you're a real Christian this morning, you can put your own name into that. Because at some point in the eternal life of God, it happened that the Father gave you to Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus revealed the Father to us. Verse 6, Jesus says it, doesn't he? I have revealed you, literally in the original, I have revealed your name, your character, your nature, that they may know you. I've revealed you to those you gave me. Now, again, we need to think about this because in Jesus' ministry on earth, we might want to say that Jesus revealed the Father to everybody. After all, he had an open ministry. He spoke openly. He did his miracles openly. He worked openly. He had an open ministry. He revealed the Father, in a sense, to everybody. And yet, if you think about it, even in his parables, there was always kind of this double effect going on, wasn't there? And for some people, the only effect of Jesus' miracles and his teaching and his parables was to close eyes, to close ears, and to harden Hearts. And only in some people was the Father truly revealed in a saving sense. Who were they? Well, you might be thinking, well, it was just the good people, or you know, maybe just the religious people, or people who were just interested in that sort of thing. But that's not right. The Father was revealed to every man and woman that the Father had given to Jesus in all eternity, and nobody else, because it's God's choice. It's got nothing to do with our character, it's got nothing to do with our performance. Now, after those three stages, the choice of the Father, the gift of the Father to the Son, and the revealing of the Father by the Son to those entrusted to him, only after those three stages do we in Jesus' presentation and prayer get to stage four? But the really interesting thing is that this is what you and I normally think of as stage one. 
Stage four in Jesus' prayer is that we, we responded by faith in Jesus as God's son. So look at the end of verse six. Jesus says, they, the people that the father gave to the son, they have obeyed your word. What does that mean? Verse eight, I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. And now notice this next phrase. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Now, the thing is that when you and I talk about becoming a Christian, we usually put that at stage one, don't we? So if somebody asks us, well, you know, who are you? Well, once we've got past um, I'm a mother or I'm a fund manager or I'm a tech genius or whatever it is, and we realize that what they're really asking us is, why are you a Christian? We usually say, well, you know what? I just decided to follow Jesus. And maybe in the past, you, like I, have sung that marvelous chorus, I've decided to follow Jesus. That is usually, is it not, our first answer? It is, isn't it? And of course, it's a correct answer. But it is not the primary answer. And I really want us to try and get hold of this. This is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. If you hear nothing else, please just hear this. You and I tend to think we're Christians because we've chosen to be Christians. And the problem is that if we think we're Christians because we've made that choice, we're always going to feel like we're kind of floating on the ocean in an inflatable rubber dinghy. Because there's absolutely no security in that. There's no stability in it. We're continually being tossed about by circumstances and problems and challenges and difficulties because it was always just my decision. It's a bit like, I think, those uh, refugees that all of us have seen on social media or on the television over the last couple of years. You know those pictures of refugees trying to cross the Mediterranean in an overcrowded Ramadigi and they're trying to start a brand new life in Europe. Most of them never get there because the inflatable wasn't up to the job, was it? And you see, when we think that we are Christians because of our choice full stop, well, we're just like those refugees. All it takes is one big spiritual wave and we're swept overboard into the water. But you see, when we grasp that we're Christians because of the eternal choice of God the Father and the gift of the Father to the Son and the revealing of the Father by the Son to those entrusted to him, once we get hold of that, Jesus becomes our lifeboat. And it's a lifeboat that, of course, can cope in all weathers, can't it? Because we begin to realize that our Christianity is not rooted in the shallowness and superficiality of my own decision, but rather in the depth and certainty and power of Almighty God. And I really do want 
all of us to try and grasp this. That's who we are. And that's why Jesus prays for us. Do you see why Jesus prays for us? Verse 9. Verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. So the reason that Jesus prays for us is not because we've chosen him. You know, Jesus is not saying, thanks ever so much for choosing me. I really appreciate it. Now I'm going to pray for you. It's not that. Jesus prays for us because the Father has chosen us. Therefore, we belong to the Father. And anyone who belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. So look at verse 10. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. He's talking about Christian believers there. And the glory of Jesus in verse 10 is bound up with our perseverance as Christian people. Because Jesus is glorified not only when we become Christians, but when we remain Christians all the way through to the end. That is why Jesus prays for us. And you know, if we begin to grasp this even in a small way, I guarantee it will change your life. So what does Jesus pray? Much more briefly... Well, he prays for the protection I need. Very simple prayer. Verse 11, halfway through the verse. Holy Father, protect them. Verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. Now, why do we need protection? Well, the main reason is because we're left in the world. Verse 11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And we've got to stay there, verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. So are you getting the picture? You see, until God sees fit to call us home, it's where we are. We are in the world. And we're not to retreat from the world into some kind of Christian ghetto or a monastery or whatever it is. We're not to do that. And living in the world is tough. Because the world hates Jesus and the world hates Christians. Some of you are right in the thick of that. Wonderfully, Jesus knows all about it. But you see, we're physically in the world, we're culturally in the world, we're immersed in the world and its values. But the world, dear Christian brother or sister, the world is not our home. And the world's values are not our values. And that's, you see, why the world hates us. Verse 14, just as it hated Jesus. Now, we've already seen lots of this. We don't need to spend more time on it. We saw it, didn't we, back in chapter 15, verse 18, Chapter 16, verse 4, this, this animosity from the world is unavoidable for the Christian. And if we're faithful in our Christian journey, in our Christian walk, well, the world won't like it. Why not? 
because the world likes conformists, doesn't it? You know, it loves, so to speak, um, dead fish that simply float down the stream. Don't try and swim against the current. The world hates people who stand out as different. And true Christians are different. And we're not given the luxury of compromise with the world or the safety of disengagement from it. And that's why Jesus prays for our protection. Verse 12, Jesus says, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. So Jesus protected them while he was on earth. The only exception, of course, was Judas Iscariot, who Jesus says here was doomed to destruction. What a strong phrase. Um, Literally, the phrase means he was a son of destruction. It's a quotation from Psalm 41. Now, does that mean that uh, Jesus is not that great on protecting? Do we have to worry about that? No, we don't. Because Judas had every opportunity to repent. Do you remember even uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus reached out to him in friendship, gave him a piece of bread, didn't he? That was Judas's opportunity to stay within the group, to stay within the band, to stay close to Jesus. But you see, Judas did not want Jesus to protect him. Because Judas wanted a different Jesus. And if he couldn't have a different Jesus, well, he didn't really want Jesus at all. But Jesus has done the job of protecting everyone who truly belonged to him. So here's a prayer in John 17 that will always be answered so that if we belong to the Father and the Son, the Father will protect us because Jesus has asked him to. And because it's a prayer according to the Father's will, it'll be answered. Now in the last few verses, verses 17 to... How are you doing? Are you with me? Some of you are looking a little bit bemused. Have a deep breath. We're very near the end. Verses 17 17 to 19, Jesus prays about the life we ought to lead. What does the Christian life look like? In a nutshell, it's a life that is set apart and sanctified by, well, this is interesting, the Word of God. Now, sanctification is the process of growing in holiness... And we need to remember that holiness is not what most people think. When they hear the word holiness, many people think about kind of quiet, beautiful, religious services in a a lovely church. uh, Or maybe having super long quiet times. But in the Bible, holiness is very practical. Holiness is about the way that we treat our neighbours. It's about the way we speak to one another. It's about the way we love and relate to other people. So holiness, my friends, is a very, very practical thing. 
And Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them, meaning make them holy, set them apart so that even though they are in the world, by their lives they will be distinctive. How does God do that? Verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God does this sanctifying work by his word. And uh, his word, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus, is his instrument for making us and keeping us distinctively different or holy. Now I'm sure you can see the application. You know, that's why it's so very, very important to read the Bible every day. Not just skim read it, but to read it carefully and prayerfully. And little interesting detail. Notice that in the process here, we're not merely sanctified, but look at verse 18. We're also sent. We're sent by the commission of Christ. Can you see that in verse 18? Jesus says to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So just as the Father sent the Son into the world, not to be loved by the world, but rather to be hated by it and to suffer in it, but at the same time to be kept all the way through to the end of his mission, so the Son sends you and I out into a hostile world. And in order that we might do that, Jesus sacrifices himself for us, verse 19. For them, for you and me, I sanctify myself, says Jesus. Meaning, I set myself apart, which in the context must be a reference to the cross because that's happening the next day. I set myself apart as a sacrifice in order to supply all of the resources Christians are going to need to complete the mission I've given to them. So, exhausting. There's a lot in these verses. Well done for getting almost to the end. But the very big thing that I want us to understand this morning and to take out into our lives this week is to understand who we are. If you are sitting here this morning as a real Christian, you are chosen and loved by Almighty God from all eternity. And you wouldn't be a Christian otherwise. And I know, I understand that there's, there is an arrogance in some of our hearts that rises up against this and says, no, no, it's my choice, nobody decides for me. But my dear brother or sister, if that's you, can I say this is the very clear teaching of Scripture? And rightly understood, it's a source of great comfort and great assurance for us. So as you go out into the world this week to your office or college or school or wherever it is, say to yourself, not, um, I'm an engineer or a retired businessman or, or a golfer or whatever it is. Rather, say, I am a man or a woman who belongs to God the Father, who has been entrusted to God the Son, for whom 
The Son prays that I would be kept safe and empowered to live a life that is distinctively different. And if we can just grasp that about our identity, well, my dear friends, our lives will be distinctive and that prayer will indeed be answered. May God make that true for all of us. Let's have a moment of quiet and then I'll lead us in prayer. Well, Lord Jesus Christ, we praise and thank you for the wonderful depth of your prayer and your love for us. We praise you that God the Father has chosen and called us to be yours. And we pray that you would give us in our daily lives a deeper grasp than we've ever had before of the security of our identity. And we pray that our lives might reflect this in all our relationships. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen.